open your gifts as a family. Somehow you still got the kids to come to church this morning, even though I'm sure they wanted to stay home and play with everything they got. Others of you are um, waiting till after church, and you're hoping I keep it short because your kids are saying, when do we get to go home and open our presents? Um, giving and receiving gifts is obviously not the purpose of Christmas, but um, it doesn't stink, right? <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fun to get presents. I, when I was growing up, my mom uh, would always say, all right, now before we open presents, we're going to have a huge breakfast. So she would make a big breakfast, eggs and bacon and everything else. And then we'd be like, all right, let's eat fast and we'll get done. And then she's like, let's do the dishes. I'm like, no, let's not do the dishes. Let's go open presents. And then we'd go in to open the presents. We're all ready. You're going to get your hand on the tape. She goes, now let's read Luke 2. And we're like, but that was great. And you know, that's such a memory for me that every year we would quote Luke 2 from memory. And um, it was precious that that was the priority that was placed. We're going to get time together as family. We're going to honor the Lord. And then we'll get to the presence. And um, that's still a, a, a great memory for me. But, you know, when you're young, it's, it's, it's all about the getting, right? You, you just want to get. And you give your parents the list and you hope that they listen very well and that um, they go to Toys R Us before everything's sold out. Everything was sold out this year, wasn't it? I, we, we were amazed. We shopped very late because of our schedule, and we were amazed how stripped the stores were. But um, we had fun buying, and, and really, as you get older, your, your priorities switch, don't they? You, you, you are not as much about getting. I, I think I frustrated my kids because they kept saying, what do you want? I'm like, I want nothing because I need nothing. Like, there are some things I'd love to have, like a Lamborghini, but that's not happening. You guys, you guys don't have enough money to buy that. But, but seriously, I don't, there's nothing I need. I, I've, if somebody bought me a present, I had no idea what it is because I didn't ask for anything. But I'll tell you, I love to give. I love to give presents. I love, I love to give something that I know somebody's going to be really stoked about, that, that they think, well, you probably didn't buy that because it's a little bit above what you're going to do. But then we kind of decided, Julie and I, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that. And there's really nothing more fun than, than seeing their eyes light up. I think that's why it's so fun to give to kids. Because when you give to kids, they're just so happy. And, and they kind of, anything you give them, it's like it's a present. It's awesome, except maybe socks. But even socks are practical. But when you get older, right, and you start to give to adults, you, you have that insecurity like, and, and you kind of preface it, right? Well, you can always, don't open it yet. You can always take it back, right? It may not, may not be right. It's probably not the right color. It's probably not the right thing. I shopped really hard and I went for four days and didn't eat. But that's okay. If you don't like it, it's good. Or you hear the, the dreaded, you still have the receipt? <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I, I really hate. But I love to give. And that's why you go to the huge effort. And that's why you fight the crowds. And that's why you spend more than maybe you thought you should, because you want to show love to people. And it's so awesome to, to see the surprise or the joy on somebody's face and, and to know you got just the right gift. And that, that kind of fulfilled what they had hoped for. Now, the other part of Christmas that I, I love is just being with people I love. And maybe that's family. If they're out of town, maybe that's the time of year when you go and visit them or they come in or you get together with special friends and, and, it, and maybe that's, that's rare. It's the time you do it. Next year, we're, we're facing the fact that Jacob will be gone all fall because he'll be at college. And even though he may only be a couple hours away, I, I know when we get to Christmas, I'm going to be excited for him to come home. 
just to spend time with him. And that'll be the highlight of, of December is just, just to be with him because we love him. When you love somebody, you want to show them, right? And really, the two ways that we do that at Christmas are we spend time with people and we give them gifts. Now, it's easy to realize that that didn't originate with a holiday. That originated with Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came to be with us, and he gave us the greatest gift that we could ever have. And I thought about that this week as I was studying for this, just just how profound and life-changing that gift is. And it's a gift of love. The reason God came here, the reason Jesus came as Emmanuel is because he loves us. The reason he offered us this gift of salvation is because he loves us. And when you're loved, it changes you. When you're loved, it changes your life, your perspective and your mindset and your attitude and your approach to the day and your hope. They're all altered because love essentially offers four values that every person wants and needs. Value number one is love provides security. Love provides security. There's no greater feeling than to know somebody cares about you. There's no greater feeling to know somebody's thinking about you and willing to sacrifice for you. The insecurity that we experience when we're alone or when we feel like we're not worthy of somebody's love, it can actually be debilitating. But once love is there, it it changes us really instantly. And we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But the first benefit of love is it provides security. The second benefit of love is it provides comfort. When you're secure in somebody's love, when you're reassured that you're their priority, now it starts to give you comfort and you don't have to worry and and live in fear. This is why infidelity in marriage is such a devastating betrayal, not just because of the physical unfaithfulness, which is awful enough, but because of the sudden realization that maybe the other person isn't placing the priority that they used to. And it's why we need to be so loving and faithful to each other as, as spouses, as parents, as friends, as the body of Christ. That love that provides that security and comfort. So when we walk in, it's, it's overused as churches, but it's like a family. Even for somebody that's visiting, even for somebody that's here for the first time, we don't want them ever to feel like an outcast, like, who are you? Why are you here? I pastored a church once where everybody would visit because it was such a tight-knit little community. When somebody visited, they'd just kind of look at them. And they'd all sit on one side, and the visitors would come in and sit on the other side, kind of alone. And, and I felt bad for the visitors, like, somebody go talk to them. And when you'd have a greeting, the people would greet each other, and the visitor would kind of stay there. That's not how it's supposed to be. Love provides comfort and security, and faithful love edifies and strengthens the other person. So once you have comfort and once you have security, then the third thing love does, it produces joy. Somebody cares about you. When you're getting together with people that love you, you feel strong and secure, right? You know that they're going to meet your needs in in so many ways, and they're going to make you feel strong rather than despondent. Somebody loves you, it makes you strong. And you're not depressed and discouraged, you're full of joy. And then that leads to peace. 
once you're secure, once you're comforted, once you're full of joy, then your heart feels settled. You go to bed at night knowing that even if somebody's not there, that they still love you. And if you had to call them at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I'm in a crisis, they're not going to go, are you crazy? Why are you calling me in the middle of the night? They're going to say, what do you need? How can I help? Can I come over? Can Can we go get coffee? What do you need? That's what love does. Fear disappears. Worry disappears. Insecurity disappears. They're replaced by hope and confidence and strength and contentment. So much of the crisis in the world this morning, and I'll be brief today, but so much of the crisis in the world this morning is that people aren't experiencing real love. There's talk about it. Well, we just need to love each other more, but, but they're searching in the wrong place because they've replaced the love of God. They've, they've rejected that and they've ignored that. And when you reject the love of God, you have to look for alternatives to fulfill that innate need in you to be loved. And so many people try to fill it with so many things. Unholy relationships, unhealthy relationships, drugs, alcohol, materialism, food, sports, social media, selfishness. Just, I don't have to make a long list. You know the things that people try to substitute in to, to make them feel validated and appreciated and loved. And they keep looking for something to do that, but there's only one thing that's going to do that, and that's Jesus. That's why suicide rates are so high. That's why it's much more common for a couple to get divorced than to make it to 50 years of marriage. That's why people drink excessively and make bad decisions and get themselves into a stupor and cause accidents and death. It's why people do drugs because they're looking for every alternative that will hopefully give them some kind of love. But what they don't realize is that every alternative is a massive failure. Only Jesus can bring that. There's no one and nothing, listen now, that will ever love you like he does. There's no one and nothing that will ever satisfy your soul, will ever bring you the absolute certainty of eternal love and eternal acceptance like Jesus Christ. And no one and nothing will ever give you the security and comfort and joy and peace that you're looking for and I'm looking for like Emmanuel, God with us. He came down to show us his love, and his love's complete. There's no lack. It is full. Now, look at how the angels describe it real quick here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. We read part of this passage last night, but always good to read it again. It's the last time we'll read it for a year, so let's enjoy it. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping the watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly spoke, stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, this is a historical scene. This is a historical record. It's not a story. It's not something that was made up for the books that's nice and pictures of the little manger out in the you know, field and, and the star shining. This, this is not some depiction. This is an actual historical event that took place over 2,000 years ago in the fields outside Bethlehem. And it right here, what we just read, those four verses, 
are literally all the evidence we need that God loves us beyond our comprehension. That's all the evidence you need. The proof of God's love, look at it, it's laying there in the manger. Jesus has been born, and he's no ordinary baby. He's not just some spiritually respected figure. He's not some religious person, religious teacher that really captivated people, and we're not quite sure what to make of him, but he certainly isn't the son of God. No, the Bible is very clear that he is the son of God in flesh, and he's come to do one thing. He's come to save Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, it's the word Yahshua in the Old Testament. It means Savior. Jesus didn't come to do miracles. He didn't come to teach. He didn't come to impress people. He didn't come to do little magic tricks and get people talking about him. He did many of those things, teaching and doing miracles. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to save. And that's what he came and did. And so many people refuse to accept him this morning because they don't believe they need a Savior. The Bible's really clear that we have all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. And even if the Bible didn't teach that truth, we certainly know, don't we, if we're honest, that we're not perfectly holy. I can't imagine anybody, if I said, stand up if you are absolutely perfectly holy and you've never done anything wrong. I can't imagine anybody being bold enough to stand up and say, that's me. So if we're not perfectly holy, if we're not, if we've never made a mistake, I mean, if, 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 if that's who we are and we have sinned, then our spiritual resume falls short of God. There's no way we can come to God and honestly look at the whole of our life and say, I've done enough. I went to some church services and I tried to be pretty good and I was nice to people and I served my community and I, and I believed God, so that should just about cover it. You know, even the devils believe in God. But all those things, while they're wonderful, they aren't enough. And every person that lives knows that. So I believe there are two reasons. If, if, if people don't believe there's a need for a Savior, well, then the Holy Spirit's got to convict them. But I believe there's a second reason why people may refuse to trust Christ. And I think it's because they don't believe in God's love. I think they read this and say, well, that's a nice little story. It's a nice concept. Maybe God did come down here, but I don't really know what he's doing here because I don't need salvation, and, and I don't know why, why God's done this. And I think part of that is because some people have come out of so much hurt. You think about the last year. You think about the last two years. Who's hurt you? It's probably pretty quick. You can probably come up with the name real fast. Oh, that person, yeah. Boy, what they said to me, what they did to me, how they continue to hurt me. And you've been wounded and you've been burned by somebody. And now the more that happens, the more that kind of creates a wall of distrust. We want to be loved and we want to be nurtured, but we've lost confidence maybe because of what's happened in our life that, that sacrificial love is real. This especially affects kids of divorce. Because they see the bond between their parents be broken or, or a child that's been abused. And the more the abuse happens, the more there's a dullness in the eye because the, we, we kind of develop emotional calluses. Somebody betrays us. Somebody hurts us. Somebody damages us. Somebody turns people against us or, or hurts us because they love themselves more than they love us. 
So we get wounded and we get hurt and we try to protect ourselves, don't we, by, by kind of putting on a brave front. How you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I, I'm all right. You know, I love it. I, I talked to somebody come in. I said, how you doing? They said, not too good. I love that honesty. I hated it for the person, but I love the fact that they didn't just say, oh, I'm doing fine. We have to admit when we're hurt. Because late at night, I don't know about you, but I've done this over the last six or seven or eight years. Late at night, you lay in your bed and, you're, and you replay the scenes, don't you? You hear the words again that somebody said to you or something they did to you. And you wonder if you're insecure, why, what you did wrong. What did I do to, to create that problem where somebody hurt me? Or, or why didn't I protect myself more because I got damaged and I should have been more cautious and more careful. And I shouldn't have trusted the person as much. And we start to develop this internal dialogue dialogue of, of insecurity. I've been in ministry for almost 30 years. I've, I've seen the physical and emotional and spiritual trauma of people that have been wounded. And honestly, over the last 10 years, I think it's gotten much worse. And I think that's because the enemy has gotten more vicious. And I think he's inflicted more pain because he sees people continually turning away from the Lord and toward things that damage them. And the more he sees that, the more he says, I'm going to create more chaos and more turmoil and more pain. So how do we deal with that? Well, let's bring it to a close. Go back to the manger. Look back at the passage. Because the proof of God's love is here in Jesus. If you get one thing out of this morning, I want you to hear this, and it's the simplest thing I can say. God loves you more than you can understand. God loves me more than I can understand, and he proved it in Jesus. And we can be sure of this by asking a couple very direct and honest questions. Question number one, if God doesn't love us and God doesn't care, then why did Jesus come? If God doesn't love us and God doesn't care, then why did Jesus come? Now, somebody's initial response would be Jesus didn't come. It's a myth. And, and even if he did come, he's certainly not who he said he was. He wasn't God. Listen, that's an argument of deflection. The historical record proves, even non-Christian historical record proves, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus did live. Jesus did die. And Jesus did rise again. So he says, so Jesus didn't rise again. That's a myth. Well, then show me his body. Because that would be the greatest historical um, refutation of something. If somebody could say, here's the body of Jesus Christ. But nobody can because Jesus is alive. So he came. He was God. He lived. He fulfilled the law. He died. And he rose again. Multiple witnesses validate this. Multiple historians validate this. Writers have validated it through multiple sources. This has all been proven. And if, it's not, if he wasn't authentic, if he was just a fraud, then why do people want to kill him so badly? Why do people want to silence him? So we can argue, well, Jesus wasn't really. No, Jesus did come. Emmanuel is God in flesh. It did happen. So, go back to the question. If God didn't love us and God doesn't care, then why did Jesus come? Well, if God doesn't care and was justifiably fine with us facing the consequences of our sin, then look back at the passage for a second. Why does he send an angel that says, hey, unto you today is born this day in the city of David a Savior? 
If God's fine to let Paul Rhodes, and, and he has every right to, and I'm as guilty as charged. If he wants to say, Rhodes, you've committed sin, you've broken my law, you cannot work your way out of it, you are destined to hell, and there's no escape from me, you have no way of rescuing yourself. He would be absolutely justified in doing that, and I would have no argument. So if God's okay with that, why does he say, hey, there's a Savior? I, I'm sending help. The fact that he was here and came in such a humble way as we studied last white night as a, as a baby and as a bondservant proves God's love. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 2 that if Jesus wasn't necessary and we could be justified by doing good, then Christ died needlessly. If I can save myself, maybe you grew up in a tradition where, where you were taught you can do things to save yourself. Let me dispel that right now. If I can save myself, there was no reason for Jesus to come, and there certainly was no reason for the cross. He died in vain. It was, it was needless, but we know he didn't. Emmanuel came because we need salvation, and God offers it, and it's the only way. That's why the message of Jesus is so unique. People have said to me over the years, why, why, what is it about Christianity that distinguishes from all the other religions? Because I think there are multiple ways to God. I said, there's one difference. Every other religion says you have to have part of your salvation. Christianity is the only one where God says, it's all on me. It's all on me. I'm going to do the work that needs to be done because you can't do it. So I sent Jesus, and I'm going to give you the ability to be saved and to have full assurance. Now, maybe you're still skeptical, and maybe you still don't fully believe that he's the only way. So let me give a question number two. What was question one? Question one is, if God doesn't love us and doesn't care, why did Jesus come? Here's question two. If God doesn't love us and Jesus isn't our Savior, then what's our plan? What's our hope? As I ask people in counseling, what's the end game? If you're not going to trust in Jesus and he's not the way, then what is the plan? And honestly, as I, as I thought about this, I couldn't come up with any other options because there aren't any. There's nothing legitimate. There's nothing where we go, well, option A, Jesus, I don't like that. But, but I do have option B and option C, and those are really, really good. Now, let me ask you, what do we stand on? What's our merit? What, what accomplishments are enough? The only thing we've earned is condemnation because of our sin. And while that should be the end of it, case closed, we're guilty as charged, we're convicted. Here's the beauty of Christmas. God intervenes and sends Christ. Augustine said that God loves us as if each of us were the only one. And Jesus would have come here if it was just you or me standing condemned. I love what David Jeremiah said. He said that saving us is the greatest and most concrete demonstration of God's love. It's the definitive display of his grace. And 1 John confirms this. We won't turn to it, but look at it this afternoon or tomorrow. 1 John 4, 7 to 10. Listen to what it says. God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, instead of getting the condemnation that we deserve, God offers forgiveness through Jesus. He satisfies our debt 
he, and he turns and then satisfies our every need. And this is the final proof that God loves us because in Christ, everything we need is met and fulfilled. Remember earlier I said the four things that love does, and I want you to know that's what God provides. I, I know many of you know this, but just listen to this last part because this is so important. And if you're discouraged this morning or you feel distant from God, let me tell you what his love does. First of all, his love provides security. Not only freedom from sin, but adoption as his children. A new spiritual nature. And listen, here's one we need to hear. His indwelling presence and the protection of his spirit. God's love provides security. And then it provides comfort. The priority. How much more of a priority could we be to God than he sent Christ to come down and be among us. And then hear this, the promise for 2017. He says, I'm completely faithful and I will never leave you and never forsake you. Some of you may be struggling this morning. Some of you may be really hurting. Some of you may be wondering what the next year is going to hold. And you're, you're uncertain and you're, and you're fearful and, and justifiably so. Because a lot of stuff in front of you is scary and uncertain. Let me tell you, God's love will comfort you because he will never leave you and never forsake you. And if you rely on him, he will be right there next to you. He will be helping you. And when you know that security of your salvation and your adoption and his protection, and when you know his comfort of his presence and his help, then that produces joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. That line never hit me until this week. That's what he brought. How? Because of his love. His love provides comfort and joy. Listen, when you know Jesus, how many know this is true? When you know Jesus, you know care. You know contentment. You know in the middle of the night when you're panicking and you're worried and you're fearful that you can go to the throne of grace and instantly you're washed with peace. You know when you need help and you don't have any answers and, and you're concerned and people have left you that you can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. And the Holy Spirit, who's called the paraclete, it means he comes right alongside you and he helps you. You know when you're brokenhearted, he says, I come near to those that are brokenhearted. You know when you're hurting and fearful and there's a diagnosis or there's a problem or your marriage is breaking apart, you know you can run to him. Even when people disappoint you, you know you can rely on him. Why? Because he's the God of joy and in his presence, tell me, is fullness of joy. If you're lacking in joy this morning, I mean, you came here and you're doing Christmas, but honestly, you're just not full of joy. Can I just encourage you that in his presence, that's where you're going to find it? I pray in this new year that 2017 is the year that this church, that we as believers understand that in God's presence is joy. And if we're lacking in it this morning for whatever reason, Know that he will bring it and you will be overwhelmed by his care. So he provides security, which we need, which love provides. He provides uh, comfort and he provides joy. And once you have those things, you have peace. Peace with him because you're forgiven. Peace with him because you're secure. 
And when we fill our hearts and minds with Christ Jesus, what does Philippians 4 say? You'll have peace that passes all understanding. And it'll fill your heart and mind through Christ. That's why the angel says, look at it one more time. We're going to pray. Look at the angel. Verse 10. Four words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I really believe, I've studied this passage many times and I've become convinced of this. That was not just about, hey, you're out in the field and it's dark and all of a sudden, hey, I show up. I think that's a much deeper spiritual message. There's no need to be afraid because love has come. And 1 John says, perfect love casts out all fear. When you're loved, you're not in fear. The passage goes on to say, because fear involves punishment. Fear involves punishment. And that's what God came to deliver us from. We don't have to live in eternal fear anymore. We don't have to live in personal fear anymore. We can live with eternal confidence and eternal hope in him. I love the line of the Christmas carol. The hopes and fears of all the years, tell me the rest, are met in thee tonight. All the hopes we have, all the things we desire out of life, spiritual and personal, everything that we desire is met in Christ. And then on the flip side, not just our hopes, but all our fears, all the things we're scared of. We don't know what's going to happen in the new year. We don't know if all of us will be here next year. Some of us may be in heaven. Some of us may have moved away. Some of us may have gone through extreme crisis. You think about a year ago, there were different people. We've lost a couple people to death. We've had people move away. Nothing is secure. All the fears I have for the new year. What's going to happen? What, what will happen with my father? What will happen with my family? My son's going away. Are we going to buy a building? Are, are we going to progress as a church? Will we be able to reach out and be effective? All those fears, all those things. You know what? How am I going to deal with that if I don't have God? And yet I can go to the Lord, right? And you can go to the Lord. Listen now, we're done. You can go to the Lord and you can say, Lord be my peace and be my security because you love me beyond comprehension. And all your hopes and all your fears will be met in Christ. That baby, he is the proof of God's amazing love. And I pray today that you know that love. I pray that you've trusted Christ with your life. And if you haven't, I would love to talk to you. My kids can wait on presents all they want. Because I'd much rather lead somebody to Christ today. I'd much rather let you know that God loves you beyond what you can comprehend. So if you want to talk, we'll be here for you. Your family and friends await. In fact, they can be part of the discussion. But don't leave today without being secure. And if you do know him, oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's get home and let's sit down with our kids and say, you know what, before we go any further, before we eat, before we open anything, before we play with the toys, let's go back over it one more time. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Do you kids know Jesus as your Savior? Boy, wouldn't it be great on Christmas Day to lead your kids to Christ? If they don't know who he is, and they've heard about him, but they've never trusted him, he'll change their lives forever. Let's pray.